Proverbs 25, 28 reads like this. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Stress and worry, fears and anxiety pound away at us from all directions, and oftentimes we let it override our self-control. We just kind of lose it under the weight of the stress and anxiety of our lives, which is kind of ironic when you stop and consider the fact that most of the things we stress and worry about are beyond our control to begin with. Have you really thought where all of our stress comes from? Have you thought about the sources of stress? Let me just name a few of them. Uh, I think there's international stress, uh, whether it's the broiling conflicts in the Middle East or the threatening default of the Greek economy or the natural disasters in faraway places. Many people are just unnerved by what's happening around the world, and they can't stay away from their televisions or radios long enough uh, to, to, to stop thinking about it. There's economic stress. Uh, the current unemployment rate in Indiana is 8.7, with uh, over 271,000 people out of work. You may be one of those, or if unemployment is looming in the near future on your horizon, you may be stressed about it, but to a certain degree, there's not much you can do about it other than weathering the storm. There's educational stress from parents experiencing the first pangs of separation as they send their kindergartners off to school to the college graduates desperately trying to find jobs that will allow them to pay off their humongous student loans to teachers who are facing increasing class sizes and greater expectations and maybe lesser resources. There is a lot of educational stress that surrounds us. There's technological stress. For all of its convenience, people, the internet has brought with it a new form of anxiety. I don't know about you, but I get way behind with email. I struggle to keep up with it. Just the minute you get it all done, up pops another few. You, you can't hardly stay ahead of it. There are times when I just want to shoot my computer. And then I realize that the email is still floating around the cloud somewhere. It'll, it'll come back. Just, you know, you can't get rid of it just by getting rid of the computer. Uh, it, it adds more stress. That which was to make our workload lighter has now made our workload heavier. And then I watch people interrupt conversations or ignore important relational moments because their phone buzzes and they feel compelled at that moment to answer that email or respond or see what it is. For something called a smartphone, we can be pretty dumb in how we let it dominate our lives and stress us out. Then there's the relational kind of stress. We talked about that last Sunday. Husbands and wives, parents and kids, employers, employees, friends, and extended family all can just weigh heavy on our stress load if we let it. But in addition to that, there is the social media stress load of relationships. Social media is changing a whole new generation. In a recent study, students were asked to abstain from social media for 24 hours, not use their cell phones, not use Facebook or anything like that, for 24 hours. <laughs> At the end of the study, they were interviewed and they, they described themselves as stressed, anxious, and lonely. Just 24 hours away from the phone or Facebook and suddenly they were facing loneliness. 24 hours. And one of the young men actually said, he said, I think I've learned that I am addicted to social media, and it carries a stress and a worry with it like nothing we've seen in the past. And then there is, well, I don't know how to describe it other than this, there is stupidity stress. <laughs> it's the stress that we just tend to bring on ourselves by 
by choices that are not smart. Did you read about the guy in Arizona recently who was arrested for stealing snakes, including an albino boa constrictor? He smuggled them out of the predator's reptile center by stuffing them in his pants. I'm, oh, how in the world could you, could you do something like that? I mean, I think something had shut off the blood supply to his brain long before he picked up that boa constrictor is what I think. I just can't imagine something like that. Well, you could probably name a lot of other areas that create stress in our life. A lot of them, most of them, out of our control, some within our control. But the real question is, how do we manage or control the stress and the anxiety that's in our life? You and I need to learn to set some boundaries in our life that will help us deal with the stress loads. And you're saying, is that okay? Can I set boundaries in my life? Well, doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend in their book, Boundaries, suggest that we should, but that most of us are uncomfortable with boundaries for a variety of reasons. They said, these are the questions that people often ask. Can I set limits and still be a loving person? Uh, What are legitimate boundaries and what aren't? What if someone is upset or hurt by my boundaries? And why do I feel guilty or afraid when I consider setting a boundary in my life? And aren't boundaries just selfish? Well, not only do I believe that it's okay to set boundaries, I think it's vital, necessary for us to set boundaries, and I think it's also biblical. Listen to the words of the psalmist, Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, as I read that, I'm thinking of how God created us. God assigned who we are. God gave us our cup to drink. God has made our lot secure, and God has set up boundary lines in our life to ensure that our life is good. The problem is that we've oftentimes broken down his boundary lines, or we've moved them out, or we've just gotten rid of them totally in our life, and when we step out of the boundaries that God designed for our lives, that's when we get into problems, and that's when we deal with stress and anxiety and worry beyond our limit. So, I've got some boundary areas for you this morning that you and I need to learn to live within these boundaries. I don't have them all down yet. I'm working on it, so we're going to do this together, okay? Here's the first one. Be who you are. Just just simply be who you are. Every one of us is different because God made us that way. Now, Paul wrote to the Roman church, and he wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said a, a lot of the same things, but I'm going to read this passage out of the Romans one. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 and following, and this is what it says. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In other words, all of us in this room are wired a little bit differently. We all have different gifts and talents to use for the kingdom, and it's a wonderful thing that we're different. The problem comes when you say, I don't want to be me, I want to be like him over here, or I want to be like her over there. That's who I want to be, and so we start trying to live that way instead of the way God created us. Be who you are. There's a lot of stress in trying to be something that you're not. Sometimes well-meaning friends or sometimes even our parents 
will say, you ought to be this when you grow up and not take time to learn who we really are. Now, most parents, I think, mean well. But sometimes a parent is actually trying to live through their child, what they want to experience. And I've seen people who went and did something and lived with a job or a career that they really didn't enjoy. And, and they may put up with it for 25, 30 years uh, and then finally say, I can't do this anymore. And then they start doing something that they really love because it's how they're wired. And it's like this load is just lifted from their shoulders. You see who God has created you to be. You figure out how you're wired, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, and then be who you are. 19th century missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, provided some helpful insight. In, the, in a dark period of his life, this is what he observed. He said, it doesn't matter how great the pressure is, what really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer to his heart. When you are living who you are not, that's when the pressure comes between you and God. When you show disregard for the way God has wired you and created you and gifted you, that's when the pressure parts company between you and God. But when you are who you are and you live it that way and the stress comes, it seems to press you closer to the heart of God. And you'll get through it because you're being who God wants you to be. Know who you are and, and be that, will you? Here's another thing. Be what you say you are. Be real. Be genuine. Do you realize how much stress hypocrisy creates? Most people can see right through you when you're being a phony. Live without pretense. You won't have to expend energy to keep up a front. You won't have to waste time and talents living a double life. The real you and the facade that you created that you hope other people will believe about you. When you have a facade, it, it saps your energy because you're always having to keep what's straight is your real life or this is my fake life, my facade life. That's, that is a formula for anxiety. So live an authentic life because everything else creates stress. Here's another thing. Work for what, for what lasts or for what endures. Jesus said in Mark 13, 31, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, my words will never pass away. Uh, most of the time we get really worked up over temporary things, new fads, new styles, camping out in the parking lot of an electronic store the night before a new techno device is released to be on sale, so we can be the first ones to buy what will tomorrow be yesterday's old news. Now, these things aren't necessarily bad unless they're the driving force behind our life, and then panic and anxiety and worry sets in. What we need to do is set our priorities to spend our time and energy on the things that endure through the passing of time. It's a matter of time management. You know, we, we say it all the time. You always have time for the things that are, are first in your life, for your priorities. So what are your priorities? What are you putting first? Are, are you really working to help your kids endure spiritually through this life? Are you investing time and energy in your marriage to make it last? Are you investing in the kingdom to ensure that the people that you love and care about will have eternal life? Not just what's good right now, but they will have eternal life. Work for that which endures and is lasting. Now, I needed this reminder from last Sunday. We showed that clip 
in my sermon about the, the fire that, that destroyed the old building. And, you know, it had been several years since I had really thought much about that. And, and in thinking about the 20th anniversary of that event, this is what I was reminded of as I watched those pictures. We were just as much the church when we were renting a room in Bloomington High School South as we were before we lost our own building here or down, down the road in the other place. And if something would happen to this building today, we'd still be just as much the church if we had to meet under a tent somewhere as who we are when we meet inside this building. And, and, and here's why that was important for me to, to learn is in these economic times, I, I've been a little bit stressed about how that's affecting the church and the fact that we're not meeting our church budget. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of bothering me. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. He got us through that tough time. He'll get us through this tough time. It's not for me to stress about. I just need to be doing the work that God has called us to do. I just need to be concerned about that which is enduring and lasting and eternal. And God's going to take care of the rest. He's going to provide for us. He'll provide through us. He'll provide down the road. He'll take care of it. It's his church. I like Leroy, what Leroy Lawson wrote. He said, God will never guide where he does not provide. Isn't that good? God will get us there. I just need to make sure that what I'm doing is working for that which lasts and is eternal. Here's another one. Take time to rest. Uh, I love the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are, who are weary and burdened. I think we could read that. Come to me, all you who are stressed and worried and I will give you rest. We desperately need to remember the principle of the Sabbath rest. You know, God rested on the seventh day. <laughs> hey, folks, if God didn't finish his work all in one day, what makes you think you can? You ever stop to think about the fact that God rested so it would give us a lesson? It was an example. So when you feel stressed, it's basically your body telling you, you need time to rest. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a break or to take a nap. I'd prefer you not do it during the sermon, but if that's the only time you can get it worked in, okay, it may be spiritual for you at that moment. <laughs> now, what's hard for most of us is the fact that most of us have a work, work ethic that says we need to be busy all the time, that there's always something to do. And so stopping and resting for a moment makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. David Faust, writing in, uh, in an article entitled The Power of Pause, says this. He says, quote, Our minds and bodies crave the renewing power of a morning walk, a midday break, a late afternoon nap, a good night's sleep, a Sabbath-style day off, a well-timed vacation. In the midst of a high-stress schedule, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, end quote. I, I look at Jesus, and there were times that the crowds were around him, pressing in on him. He knew that, it, that he just knew he needed to get away, take a break, clear his mind. And so he'd step away from the crowds and all the requests, and he'd go off to a lonely place and pray, and it refreshed him. So it, the, the rest is not just about having a day off, or it's not just about having a, a vacation. It involves planned interruptions throughout your day. Stop and just take a deep breath. Or go to the window or the door and step out and, and breathe in the fresh air from outside for a moment. 
offer a brief prayer, read a chapter in a good novel, write a note of thanks to somebody, take a 30-second walk up and down the hallway just to get your blood flowing again. Because you see, the minute breaks can often be as important as the monumental breaks. Plan these moments to give yourself some rest every day. Don't go at breakneck speed all the time. Set boundaries for rest. Here's another thing. Make a plan. Proverbs 12, verse 5 says, The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Proverbs 16, 3, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Do you realize that making a plan helps reduce stress? If you know where you're headed and what you need to accomplish, it cuts down on the worry. Again, in my conversation a couple weeks ago with Dr. Louise Miracle, she said uh, that stress, worry, fear, and anxiety all love vagueness and ambiguity because the less specific you are, the greater your worry. I'd never really thought about that, but it's true. When I can't narrow something down, it worries me a whole lot more. When you feel anxious about something, take time to examine your fears. Get specific. Put it into concrete terms what's bothering you. And when you can define it in concrete, specific terms, it'll help you deal with it. For instance, when you say, oh, I'm just, I'm worried about tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow, I'm just really bothered by tomorrow. Well, well, why, why are you worried about tomorrow? Well, I got a meeting with the boss. Well, what kind of a meeting? I don't know, he didn't say did he say, you know, why, are you afraid of the meeting? Yeah, I think it's going to be bad news. Did he say it was going to be bad news? No. Have you ever had a meeting with the boss before? Well, yeah. What, was it bad news? No. It was good news. Well, then why do you think that tomorrow's meeting is going to be any different if he didn't say or indicate? And see, when you can start narrowing it down and getting specific and being concrete with the issue and you start thinking, well, that's right, I... He didn't say it was bad news. He, he didn't say there was a problem. He just says, I want to meet with you tomorrow. Maybe, maybe it'll be like the other ones. It'll be good. You can kind of start to eliminate the stress with a plan. Plan your work and then work your plan. Get specific. Don't let worry and anxiety hover out there in the winds of vagueness and ambiguity. Now, here's another one of those boundaries that you need to set. You need to learn how to say no. That's a legitimate word in the English language, no. And honestly, I will tell you, this one is hard for me. Whenever I have to say no to something because I just can't fit it into my schedule, I deal with this wave of guilt for having said no. Anybody else deal with a wave of guilt when you say no to somebody? Especially somebody that you like or you love? Anybody? Yeah, okay, okay, you, you know what I'm saying then. And, and, and I don't have a cure-all answer for the, for the, the guilt yet, but I've... I've learned to remind myself of these principles. If I say no, others can do the same job as good as and more often than not better than I can do it. So by saying no, it's not going to jeopardize somebody else doing a good job. They'll do a better job than I can do. And then I have to remind myself of this. If I say yes to everything, I will be good for nothing. Because I cannot do everything well. You can't either. All right? So if you don't start to pick and choose you, you mess up everything. So sometimes saying no may be the best thing to help the other things that you are doing become better. And priority does matter. 
Certain aspects of my job and my life require more attention than others. When I sacrifice the important for the urgent but less important, I then have surrendered to an unbalanced life, and an unbalanced life creates more stress and anxiety. So learn to say no. Come up with a plan. Be specific about what's bothering you. And work your plan, and it'll make a difference. You take that plan to God, and he'll bless it if you're working according to his word. Okay, here's something else. Loosen up, all right? Loosen up. Some of us are way too uptight and inflexible in life. Have you noticed that? Maybe that describes you. Do you know the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, Missouri was designed so that in a high wind it can actually flex or sway 18 inches? Now, I do not want to be in the top of the arch when it's swaying 18 inches. But I'm glad that the designers built that into it because if they hadn't, it would snap off at the bottom. If it's too rigid, it'll break. Sometimes when we have a storm come through, I like to look out our back window at the trees in our backyard. And these trees, that if I run and bump into them, I can't even move them a fraction of the inch. They'll just sway and bend back and forth in the wind to the point where I think, I, how can they do that and not break? Well, it's because they're flexible that keeps them from breaking. If they were rigid, they would snap. Now, the same thing will happen to you. If you don't learn how to bend and flex and loosen up, you will eventually snap, and it won't be a pretty sight when that happens. And one of the best ways for you to flex and bend a bit is to laugh a lot. Laugh at yourself, laugh at others, laugh at life. Do you remember what Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 22 says? It says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Some of you are so stressed this morning, you got dry bones. Who wants dry bones? I even see your dry bones, the way you look and the way you act. So read a funny book, watch a happy show, tell a hilarious joke, share the fun moments of life. When you are too stressed and worried about life, you'll miss the joys that come along in life. There, there are funny things that happen all the time. Uh, you just need to enjoy life and, and relish those moments. If nothing else, just go out to the mall, sit down, and watch people. It's funny. <laughs> you know, there's times somebody will walk by and think, oh, Lord, where'd you come up with that idea? I mean, you know, it just, learn to laugh at life, all right? In a lunch conversation I had with um, uh, the, the, my Russian students, when I was teaching over there a few weeks ago, uh, this was toward the end of the week, and they'd started loosening up a little bit, and they were telling me about a perspective they have of people in the United States, and, and they said they think that people in the United States are more concerned about keeping the rules than they are in Russia. And, and I, I didn't understand what they meant by that. I thought maybe something had gotten lost in the translation, so I said, I, I don't know what you mean. Give me an example if you can. They said, well, sure. They said, when we're driving down the road in Russia, and off to the side in the bushes is a a uh, Russian police cruiser where the policeman is monitoring the road and we know he's got his radar on everything. When we get down the road a little bit farther, we flash our headlights at the oncoming traffic to make sure they know to slow down because there's a policeman down the road. And they said, you wouldn't do that in the United States. <laughs> For two seconds, I thought about answering, you're right, we wouldn't lower ourselves to something so despicable as that. And then I remembered that I was teaching a class on presenting the truth, and I thought, okay. So I said, are you serious? <laughs> I said, of course we do that in the United States. 
you know. Yeah, I've seen those, I've seen people flash their lights, you know, as they're coming down the road. And do you know, for the first time in the whole week I was teaching, there was a cheer went up from the table they began to, it's the only time all week I got high fives. <laughs> Teach my heart out all week long, I get high fives because we flash our lights somewhere down the road to warn of a, there are funny moments all through life if you just take the time to learn about them. Last thing and most important, lean on the Lord. Sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that our worry is an evidence of our unwavering sense of responsibility. Well, I'm so worried because I'm such a responsible person. Well, the truth is, worry reveals a deep-seated self-reliance instead of a God-reliance. The reason I'm worried is because I'm dependent upon me instead of God. It's not my deep sense of responsibility, it's my deep sense of self-reliance that gets me into problems. So we need to replace our attitude of worry with an attitude of worship and realize that God is the one who can get us through. We need to lean on Him. We need to depend on Him. We need to put our trust in Him. I love this verse that the prophet Isaiah wrote. Isaiah 26 verse 4, it says, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Wow. That's a great passage. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Now, you all probably thought I had this bottle up here in case I got thirsty, but, but it's not. I, it's not for drinking this morning. I got a question for you. How heavy is this bottle of water? Well, uh, there's more than one answer for that, actually. And you, well, there shouldn't be, you're thinking. You know, it is what it is. It weighs what it weighs. Well, but there's more than one way to weigh it. Let me tell you. It is 16.9 ounces, and, you know, you add the dab of plastic and and stuff on it, and it probably weighs slightly over a pound, maybe a pound and a tenth or something like that, okay? So that's its technical weight. But there's another way to measure weight. For instance, if I hold this bottle of water out here for a minute, I'm I'm okay, I'm good to go. If I hold this bottle out here like this for an hour, my hand will start cramping, my arm will be uncomfortable. And if I hold this thing out here all day, I'm gonna need some help to get that one accomplished. Because you see, really, the longer I hold this bottle of water, the heavier it gets. That is just like your stress your worry, your fears, and your anxiety. The longer you hold on to them, the heavier they become. The more you grip that worry, the more your hand and arm begins to cramp. If you don't let some of these go, if you don't find somebody else to help you carry this load, it's going to wear you down, it's going to drag you down, it's going to get heavier and heavier, and you're going to hurt and hurt more. So what you need is somebody that will care enough to carry these things for you, which is what Jesus said, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. You need someone you can trust to handle your fears, stress, and worry. Well, the Lord can be trusted when no one else can because he's eternal when everything else is temporary. And when your stress and worry seem to erode your very being, will you remember that he is the rock? He's the rock of ages. He's the living water. He's the one that can take the stresses, anxieties, and worries and lift them from your shoulders. And suddenly, when you've given them to him and you walk with him 
and you work for that which is eternal, and you plan his plan in your life, the worries that get to most of us won't get to you because they won't matter as much anymore because you're leaning, leaning on the Lord. So I'm telling you this morning, let him carry the load. You lean on the rock. You drink from the living water. Stop carrying all that by yourself. Because the longer you carry, the heavier it gets. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning? If you don't, while we stand and, you, and we sing, you come to the Savior.